Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hiya, Pete. Hey, everybody. And I just want to let you know that uh, in addition to being Pete, I also do some body double work. And I was the 90-pound body double for Chris Evans in Captain America. Wow. I also want to point out to you that today's podcast on Captain America is brought to you by War Bonds. Every bond you buy is a bullet in the barrel of your best boy's gun. Let's hear it for our boys in blue. Woohoo. And uh, while we're all roused, uh, I guess not only in the, the fine service in the nation that Captain America represents, and also increasingly excited about the uh, forthcoming release of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we have, uh, I guess, some more bullets in our gun. Uh, this episode is dropping on Tuesday, September 17th. We will have a special Avengers episode on Friday, September 20th, and then we will hit Iron Man 3, Monday, September 23rd, all in uh, our increasing frenzy over Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which now, Pete, is just one week away in 20, not, I guess in not 24 hours, math is fun, in one week from when this episode drops, we hope to be dropping our first episode on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yes, that very night, so it's yes. exciting times very excited um i don't know if they planned it this way but uh iron man 3 hits uh physical blu-ray and dvd on the 24th as well so it's a big marvel disney abc day that day um you know get your iron man 3 uh discs and uh you know hit them up and then uh settle in for some agents of shield which is uh going to take off we think this fall on abc take off big time definitely pete before we jump into the episode proper i think you had a little bit of news to share was it business week that had something to say about agents of shield yes business week has anointed uh marvel's agents of shield the number one show of the fall which is fairly impressive and just again speaks to why we zeroed in on such a property um for our next podcast it's exciting stuff indeed as is pete the movie captain america the first avenger and uh pete what's our first segment well in the debrief here i think one thing we certainly got to start off with is the fact that after uh having done thor last week with uh a story of alien mythology and several you know straight up action movies prior to that uh Marvel and Disney throw us a curve here with a period piece, um, which just works wonderfully. I absolutely love the look and feel of the 1940s and um, the drab colors, the the palette they throw you here, the sensibilities. It's tremendous. It absolutely is. And they, of course, uh, uh, got the director, Joe Johnston, who for for those of us of a certain Certain uh, geek persuasion and certain age. Joe Johnson, of course, uh, is best remembered for The Rocketeer, the movie that uh, you know was uh, put together by Disney with such such great uh, hopes of becoming a, a the next Indiana Jones, and uh, unfortunately was not largely because Disney didn't know how to market it. Um, but I always have a have a soft spot in my heart for Joe Johnston, who has never really quite captured. Um, I think that the degree of uh, fame that that uh, is deserved to him, despite Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji, um, 
but you're gonna leave out Jurassic Park three, a a, a a heavyweight like that? Um, yes, in part because I've never seen it, uh, based on oh, wow. the fact I had to sit through Jurassic Park two. Um, so I don't maybe that's uh, you know unfair to say. I mean, but you know whatever. Well, speaking of dinosaurs, Matt. You know, um, Steve Rogers for a gentleman, uh, he would be what now? He'd be in his uh, 90s. Uh, he's a spry looking guy in this film. And uh, that they took uh, the guy that played uh, Johnny Flame or whatever the heck his name is from. Uh, uh, that would be Johnny Storm, <laughs> also known as the, the Human Torch, Pete. Anyway, Johnny Flame, um, <laughs> it's intentional. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, just the the fact that they went to the well on a guy who played a guy in the same comic universe um, in two very forgettable uh, Fantastic uh, Four movies. <laughs> no, no, no. They are fun. They live up to, not to turn this into Fantastic Four, but... The to the two fan the, the Fantastic Four duology, I think reflect what the Fantastic Four is all about. That you know the X Men go around at night in the shadows and skulk around. The Fantastic Four are are celebrities in the comic world, and this is a movie that's about you know the, 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 you know those two movies capture that that aesthetic so wonderfully. We're gonna have to agree to disagree on that one, but anyway the reinvented an actor who had uh, played in that universe before and did it to a lot of raised eyebrows. And after two films as Captain America, he is Steve Rogers. He is Captain America. Um, just a wonderful turn by uh, Chris Evans. It really, really is. And I think that, I mean, I don't remember exactly when I heard the breaking news that he was, you know, that, that Johnny Storm was cast as as Captain America, but I remember just being completely like confused and blown away by it because Johnny Storm is kind of so um, arrogant and annoying. Rash, and, yeah. <laughs> I, and I mean, it's all things that is within the character. It's nothing against Chris Evans, but he captures that character so well. And even I think Chris Evans' first movie was one of the scary movies or a scary movie lookalike movies where it, he's similarly just kind of you know like a jerk. And then he just he nails Steve Rogers' whole aesthetic, his whole his whole vibe, um, everything that Captain America needed to be in terms of the person on the inside, not the actor who can spend six months with a Hollywood, uh, you know, uh, guy yelling at him, you know, run faster, lift more, you know, that that Chris Evans has to channel not just Captain America, but all the Captain America. Uh, stands for including hopefully the best of this country i mean he just does it it's just a home run performance out of him it is and you know not to take away anything from his performance but the effects that they utilized to uh carry forward the transformation in terms of my um 16 year old looking hairless chest early on on his head and then, uh, you know, taking that through and bulking him up, uh, you know, really worked. And it is stunning that between Ke Joe Johnston as the, you know, the director, boots on the ground kind of guy, Kevin Feige as the 
you know, the, you know, one of the people from Marvel kind of keeping an eye on all this. It is amazing that no suit or no person concerned about money stepped in and just said, no, we're not going to make every single scene that Steve Rogers pre-transformation needs to be in. We're not going to turn it into some special effect shot. It's just not worth it. So many people could have said they could have said, "Let's look at Lord of the Rings. They can make little hobbits stand next to giant other people by tricks of the trade that don't cost anything, or a blue screen. You know, simple things. Not get Leander Dini the body double and do a Forrest Gump head morph. I mean, can you just imagine? You propose that and go. The minute this doesn't look good, you've lost people in the, in the most important part of the movie, the first half hour." Where you're selling this guy as the guy he is on the inside. It, it, it's stunning that no one stopped it. That everybody finally came around to the idea. Which I know was not an original. You know, It wasn't originally the plan to take all this time and money to do this. But the fact that ultimately this best idea of saying. Hey the last movie we did we could do Rainbow Bridges. And the, the, the wild world of, of the great beyond and Thor. We can put. You know, uh, we we can either you know scale him down digitally in in shots, as, as some of which are done, like when he has uh, well, when he almost has schnapps uh, the night before the transformation, or morphing in the body double, head stitching, et cetera, et cetera. It is astonishing that that got done, and it is perfect. I watched so carefully. I think maybe when Steve Rogers is fur is put into the uh, you know the transformation machine, there might be a moment there where his chest maybe looks a little. I don't want to say pixelated, but just looks slightly like painted over. But then maybe that was just a little hiccup in Netflix or, you know, whatever, whatever. It's it's amazing that 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 the job is so flawless. I watched it on the Blu-ray and um, didn't notice anything, you know, on a, a bigger TV. So, um, you know, my hat's off for them on that. The scene that sells it for me is when he is, uh, when Steve is in the back of the car with Agent Carter and he's pointing out the places uh, where he was beat up in Brooklyn and she absolutely dwarfs him. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, it's it's simple symbolism uh, it's effective, um, but it's just sold so well. That and, you know, several montages throughout the film, um, you know, really keep the energy high. You know, the the transition from, you know, being instantly a relic, well, you're the only super soldier we could make with Dr. Erskine's formula. Really, you're, you're untested. We're going to make you a curiosity. And, you know, the musical number in a Marvel movie um, and how effective and funny and gripping it is. Um, and then, you know, the the montage where they're taking out the various Hydra bases and just showing, um, you know, Captain America in his prime. These boys, you know, he's got uh, Dum Dum Dugan. There, played by uh, you know uh, character actor uh, you know magnifique Neil McDonough, and um, you know just just good stuff, man. Pulpy, serial style, forties goodness. Yeah, I mean, as I was watching that musical number, it kind of took me a minute to realize like 
a musical just broke out here. And yeah, it's kind of, you know, self-consciously. Like it's not like, you know, a musical musical where they're just singing to the air. It's obviously, you know, musical on stage. But this production has had to shift from, you know, 1940s sci-fi of the future, but sci-fi nonetheless, to World War II movie, to a musical at some parts. It's just, it's incredible. And you mentioned the casting. I mean, to, I mean, you know, we've, we've discussed Chris Evans to say this is a movie that has Hugo Weaving and Tommy Lee Jones and Neil McDonough and Stanley Tucci, along with some of the, the smaller parts, you know, uh, you know, like Dominic Cooper as Stark and, uh, of course, the lovely Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. It's just, it's, um, it's fantastic stuff. Indeed. Pete, what is next on your uh, on your desk as you uh, as you go through different folders here in our in our secret Agents of Shield layer? <laughs> well, we're going to take a detailed look here in our dossier at the bad guy, at the threat, and finally, after several Marvel films in which there was a two tiered, ooh, you think you know the bad guy? Surprise, there's a different bad guy. Okay, we finally get one single Marvel. Liz, uh, I got you there, villain <laughs> in uh, Hugo Weaving's Red Skull. And, you know, I, the, the movie treads a line with him, which I think is permitted because um, we're, we're essentially dealing with shades of gray or shades of bad. But I think at a certain point, like when he um, after he I'll say laser beam, although I know it wasn't a laser when he laser beams down. Uh, the the Nazi officials sent from Berlin to scold him and bring him back to uh, to Hitler, kind of shamed. Um, and he basically says that you know says that he he wants to be more powerful than the Nazis and has aims on Berlin. As gets found out in that scene, the movie is almost suggesting, at least in the fictional world that we're viewing, that uh, that Hydra is worse than the Nazis. Which I don't quite... think it was a suggestion. <laughs> well. <laughs> I think the movie went there even – I, I guess here's what I'm trying to say. The movie went there without kind of compromise any sort of sense of, you know, oh, tut, tut, let's shake our heads. This is the Nazi party of the 1940s, you know. Um, but the fact – how about this? At the very least, in the, it is so easy in a movie to – obviously, to make the Nazis the villains. But in that that has been done so many times and you have this guy more evil than the Nazis who come to his secret mountain lair, you're just like, wow, this is a big bad guy and they're not, they're not fooling around with it. I love that he's still out there, that they didn't kill him off. I do know um, I had remembered Hugo Weaving had spoken out like all of these actors. He's signed to multiple movie deals really at their option. Um, but I know he's not keen to return. Um, there's no rumors out there right now as to if he will return, as if he will return. I'm really kind of hoping we see him again, particularly hope, you know, Weaving kind of works through not wanting to come back at him. I love the accent. Oh, Dr. Yeah. Zola. I embrace it proudly. You know, just the, uh, the Johann Schmidt accent. Um, it's hammy, but again, in this pseudo campy 1940s ultra, you know, nationalistic and, and his is the anti-nationalistic forget, you know, flags he wants it all. You know, he, he's going to obliterate the whole world. 
And, um, you know, I find him to be the best villain. You know, I know a lot of people take Loki for their money in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Give me uh, Red Skull uh, anytime. Well, you know what? I mean, Loki is beloved because he's a sympathetic villain. And he's not, I mean, I know he's the villain in terms of the, the inciting force of, of the bad things in Thor. You know, he's not exactly, you know, a lot of that Thor does to himself. In this movie, it's just, it's just, you know, it is Red Skull. He is, he's more evil than the Nazis. He's preparing to destroy, you know, uh, cities around the globe. And um, as you said, nationless, which is, which is a contrast that I had never quite thought of. But, you know, here World War II is about nation versus nation and kind of national model versus national model how will we be governed and his answer is you know essentially that uh, hey you know what fascism uh, that's kind of too governmenty how about just all hydra everywhere you know it's not even kind of a government thing it's just a it's just a, a cult of me and um i rather like that i rather like i mean not not the notion i rather like <laughs> i rather like this contrast of the best of America versus somebody who can't even be bothered with his own country. And what's done effectively too, it's him. He's got a scientist type lackey and then a bunch of faceless stormtrooper type of guys with this futuristic, you know, um, supernatural arsenal. And, you know, the, the film plays upon a Raiders of the Lost Ark esque um you know motif in that all right you know hitler's digging for trinkets in the desert i get the real power here you go get your your earthly ark or whatever was in uh in in that good book a lot of people uh check out i'm gonna get something that the entire universe covers as far as a piece of technology or a power source and uh we'll see how that goes Pete, again, I'm 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 blown away by your analysis, and you're absolutely correct. You know, here because that that line, "searching for trinkets in the desert," I I couldn't quite. I was like, I, I feel like there's a there's a reference I'm supposed to be getting. I, mean, I know, kind of, you know, I'm aware of Hitler's interest in the occult, but I think you're totally correct that he's he's, you know, make, maybe he's not directly making a slam towards the Raiders of the Lost Ark storyline, but that uh, oh no, I think no, it might no, be a no, movie no, no. reference. I think towards if anything, that. it's it's homage. Um, but it's clearly this is at a next level. Um, you know, the the beginning scene with Schmidt in Tonsberg where he, you know, and again, so beautifully dovetailed Thor with the introduction of the Norse mythology mm-hmm. and the Asgardian mythology and that coming together and then the tree of the world. And of course, the Tesseract is in a big wooden uh freeze of the tree of the world that of course schmidt knows all about and everything there you know just could not have come together coalesced any better it's it is a perfect uh example of what marvel uh had been trying to do uh, let's say perhaps since incredible hulk certainly since iron man 2 which was have this larger universe but and a big but here have this separation between 
Do you need to have seen Thor and remember it all? The answer is no. You can just watch this movie as a first time or as somebody who maybe just, you know, like like whatever. Like I'm thinking of my parents who watched this and it was like, do you get that this is from the other, the Thor movie? It's like, oh, yeah. And it's like, I don't know how you're missing this. But you can just sit and go, oh, this is some ancient thingy. They're talking about, you know, the, the oldie time Norse something or other. And I get it. It's a big glowy blue box that then powers stuff. I understand everything I need to understand for this movie. Boom, fast forward to Avengers. Do you remember it from Captain America? Eh, not exactly. Guess what? Here's how it works. It's a big glowy thing that makes the guy appear. Okay, done. It just works individually and works as part of this larger storyline. Where does Red Skull go? Wherever Red Skull wants to go? Because <laughs> um, I thought for certain that that was going to be uh, what was at the end of Avengers. I thought that's where they were going to go, that we saw him disappear. I thought that's that was going to be who um, the other, as um, he's, he's labeled in the subtitles in the Avengers, um, is speaking to, and it winds up being uh, Thanos. So, um, you know, he, he's still floating around out there. He's somebody that could pop up um, given his prominence in the comics. And as a character, I have to think they'll go back to him at some point. You know, they, they've got a big palette to play with. But I just think the guy is too iconic to not return to. Flip side is if he if he doesn't want to return. I mean, can they make him? Yes, if he's contracted, they can make him. I'm just saying like. Does Marvel necessarily want to go somewhere? I, I think from Marvel's point of view, it's story first. And a lot of these people, like I think I read somewhere that, um, um, uh, you know, Bucky Barnes has like a six picture deal. And I think that's because he shows up in Avengers 2 as perhaps the, you know, the the one of the characters who was mentioned in the title. Um, but Avengers 2, you mean Captain America 2? Sorry. Yeah. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Sorry. Um but I mean, point being, like, I think a lot of these people. I mean, for six picture, five or six pictures is his deal, really? Like, I don't know that that's. I don't know that they're doing six Captain America slash Bucky Barnes in Avengers two or Avengers twenty five or you know. But I think they just come. You know, it's like a sports contract. Hey, congrats! It's you know a hundred million dollars for for six seasons. Uh, we only wanted you for one season. You're cut. Goodbye. Um, at least an NFL contract, you know, you know, baseball is guaranteed and all that. But anyhow, uh, maybe they just don't go there with him. Like, yeah, Hugo's not too into the into the the plot, and let's just move on. I I, I hope to goodness he comes back. He was wonderful. I suppose another option, and I don't know how uh, delightfully Machiavellian Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, etc., is. It could have just been like, uh, hey, Hugo, here's uh, you know. Here's an extra thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, whatever you want. Can you just uh, spread around that you don't want to do any more Marvel movies, and then right. you we'll never fly know. you in to to do uh, you know the special post credit sequence for uh, you know Cap Two, and you show up as another you know another intergalactic baddie in Avengers Two, and so on and so forth. Who knows? Maybe he is really under the. Um kentucky fried chicken looking skin that robert redford wears on an everyday basis <laughs> wow wow one of the great gems of american cinema 
just taken down by none other than uh, Peach Geek's own Pete. I can't take full credit in uh, all seriousness for that jest that was done on uh, the family man. Ah, yes. The well-known family man cartoon in your cinemas. Yes. Anyway, let's uh, move it along here. Let's look at some level seven theories. I got one for you here. Uh, you mentioned Captain America 2, the Winter Soldier. I believe it's just Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, I think we all know what we're driving at here. Um, that movie is, uh, you know, being filmed and finished as we record this. Um, how are they going to take a guy who pretty much is like, and again, you know, all deference to the actor playing him, but really kind of a eh, character and build him into a titular character, Matt. Uh, I don't know. Can I hear your theory? I think it's going to be the type of situation where we're going to get a mask. We're, we're going to get, I mean, anybody who knows the Captain America, you know, universe knows what's going on there. Um, this is not exactly, you know, Darth Vader is Luke's father type of, uh, territory here. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be very much like the Hydra stuff, you know, he'll have a mask, he'll have some improvements, whatnot. He'll be, uh, you know, technologically, uh, conceived or, uh, concealed, I should say, um, both. And, um, you know, the tone they've been talking with that film is really more of a, modern Manchurian candidate. Mm. So I'm very interested to see how we transition from a period piece to a modern genre film. It certainly should be interesting. And with this, as with Thor, as with Iron Man 2, as with The Incredible Hulk, uh, we continue the trend of uh, directors not returning for their sequel. Um, Joe Johnston not back, instead uh, replaced by the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe Russo, who I best know them as uh, having, uh, I think, together and also separately uh, directed tons and tons of episodes of Community. Uh, Pete, you would also know them from, uh, I think they jointly directed the Arrested Development pilot and then separately dire uh, directed a whole bunch of uh, those episodes. So... Let's just hope their comedic timing is as taut as it is on those shows. Well, I, Pete, I know you're not a community fan much to the one day you're going to watch it. I'm, I'm a big of, fan of my community. I know you're not a fan. I of pay the, taxes. The television show community, but there are some episodes. Oh, there's a television show called community. There is a beloved television show. Hashtag six seasons is a movie. Um, but there are some episodes that are, that are certainly very action oriented. Now, to be fair, the, at least the one or two of them thinking of in particular uh, were not directed by them uh, exactly. They, they also had a production role in the show before they left to, to go do Cap. Um, some of the action episodes were directed by the guy that's now doing Fast and the Furious. But bottom line being, these guys do have a background in doing some kind of action stuff recently in terms of the, the degree that, of action that uh, that community has done. So... Um, It'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's 
to me, it's a little notable that um, you've gotten two outings out of uh, out of Joss Whedon. If you look ahead to Avengers two, you got two outings out of um, oh my goodness, totally blanking on the Iron Man director who I can see in front of me, John Favreau. John Favreau, who yes, all the way back to uh, all the way back to Swingers has been uh, uh, a talent that I admire. So I, I apologize for the mental block there, but. It's just interesting that these these directors don't come back for whatever reason. Well, on the plus side, and again, full credit to Favreau and Whedon, but I think these films, the way the train is rolling down the track now, are largely director-proof. What are these guys possibly going to tell Robert Redford that he doesn't already know? This is a guy that, you know amazingly has not yet won an Academy Award for Best Actor, although uh, he's going to be on the short list this year um, with the movie he makes about the guy uh, stranded going around the globe in um, in a sailboat. But, um, you know, what what are these brothers going to tell him? You know, is it going to be the George Lucas? No, I want you to do that faster and more intense. I don't think so. Right. Um, so, again, respect to them, but, you know, a rhesus monkey could be in the director's chair and one, the film will still win its opening weekend and two, be largely watchable. I, I, I think that a good analog to that is uh, much of the James Bond franchise, um, particularly, let's say, Pierce, Bos- Pierce Brosnan forward, where in the actual production like it would be the the you know from movie to movie you would have the same kind of you know stunt crew stunt coordinator guy who knew how to get a jet powered boat onto the river thames and hire the right helicopter crew to be able to do this that the other and then you have the director who is in a soundstage on the phone with the stunt coordinator saying hey how are things going there okay great all right i look forward to seeing the footage all right back to the actors hey let's do a close-up hey the, you know, just working with the actors essentially is the job of a James Bond director. I don't know that that's necessarily the case with uh, Sam Mendes most recently in Skyfall, but I kind of think that's how it here, how it is here, where Kevin Feige knows the people he needs to get. He knows his effects people. He knows the pre-production guy with the pencil saying, "Hey, what if we did this? What if we did that?" They know the costume people. And it's just a matter of, all right, we need somebody to hang out for eighteen months and like help come up with the timeline and help tell the actors, you know quicker and more intense, things like that. And you've brought up um, James Bond before, but I think this movie really throws the comparisons over the top between, you know, Stark outfitting Captain America with the shield and the other goodies, very, um, you know, Q-esque, all the way to the end of the film with, you know, Captain America will return in the Avengers, which I realized was done previously um, with Thor and may have been done in um, Iron Man 2. But, you know, this has in essence become Disney uh, version of Bond. And, uh, you know, just keep cranking them out, man. Doing a fine job. The, the deeper they get into <clears throat> this milieu the better it gets. That's a really interesting way to put that. That really, really is that these Marvel movies, yeah, are, are, are an attempt of um, 
you know, a franchise of, of the Bond level. Um, and I think Disney very readily would say, yes, and the number one way we're prepared to do that is to recast anyone who doesn't want to take the meager peanuts that we will pay them. Um, they haven't exactly followed through on that in terms of any of the leads yet, but that day will come. Either these people are going to age out of their roles or want more money than Disney is willing to pay them, and the day will come and we're going to go gulp. What do you mean? You know, no more Chris Evans as Captain America. He was so great in the five Captain America movies and the three Avengers movies. I'm totally ticked off. And then two years later, you're going to be like, boy, that Joe Schmo, he's no Chris Evans, but he's kind of like the the Roger Moore of Captain America. You know, and we'll just move on. Well, I for one hope it doesn't come to pass like that. That always um, really bothers me when you've got to change um, in a series like that. Like I've said, I'm curious as to this particular Marvel Cinematic Universe's long-term sustainability. You know, is this something that's still around in 10 years? Do they do the artistic and perhaps the more worthy gesture and, all right, it ends in phase three? You know, granted, you're leaving a lot on the table with that. But if you look back and then to say, all right, there were 15 movies over the span of however many years and lay it end to end to end, it could be something that, you know, would stand the test of time. We know how much DC and Warner Brothers are constantly kicking themselves that they're not already there. I think the Ben Affleck signing is an attempt to get there. Um and I think it's largely blown up in their face. And I think popular culture will back me up on that, at least to this point. Um, let's let's talk a little shield, though, as far as theories. So Captain America wakes up in the present after the elaborate ruse uh, of a Brooklyn Dodgers game uh, that he attended because um, super senses give him the ability to remember a nondescript game he went to in 1941, but he <laughs> run he runs out. Uh, wait, Pete, I, I I must interrupt. I think that it is it is well within the bounds of this movie to assume that a Brooklyn boy, uh, you know, Brooklyn grown, would remember every detail of his Brooklyn Dodgers, his his lousy hometown heroes. Um, I think that he would just be able to immediately say, you know, particularly in a in a sports world where there's not, you know, substantial NFL to to draw your eye away, no NBA. Um, I understand some people enjoy a game held on ice. I think it's largely in Canada and Eastern Europe, but there's Curling. not that either. Curling. Curling, yes, that's the one. So, I mean, in that this was mighty baseball and baseball in New York and the Brooklyn Dodgers in his very own Brooklyn is it a little bit of a of a tweak? Like, how often is he going? I don't know exactly, but let's say he goes to five games a year. I feel like he would just have that have the box score thumb thumb tacked up in his bedroom and stuff like uh, that, and look at it and go, "Ah, oh, what a game!" This this game it's a face. really ham fisted uh, DXX Machina there that you know uh how are we going to push this forward? How is he going to realize uh, that woman is not from his time? He's been to the game. Anyway, after that 
minor faux pas. He runs outside into uh, Times Square, but we have herein established that uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. has some offices right there in Times Square. So I am curious to see, knowing that the um, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, pilot takes place in the city of New York, um, if that is indeed the office, if that is something we will see a lot of. Ooh, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting idea. I wonder if is it complicated by um, you know the fact that they're obviously filming in L.A. or do they go to the trouble in the pilot to fly whether it's you know Coulson, uh, Clark Gregg, whether it's Migna or whether it's um, and pardon me for not knowing all the the characters that aren't those two in part because I'm rolling spoiler free on on Agents of Shield, but I know there's kind of like the guy that we've seen in the preview where it's like you know you know who gets told welcome to, to level seven maybe do they fly him out there just to like be walking around times square and turn a corner cut to you know the universal backlot where he's in the alleyway and makes his way into shield headquarters if so that would be well i was gonna say that would be amazing that would be but it would simply be indicative of the degree of quality that marvel has brought to these movies do they carry it over to, to agents of shield the character's name is actually cocky everyman ah Yes, that that's a character's name. <laughs> well, okay. I don't. You know what, Pete? You've just uh, thrown me for a little bit of a loop there. Uh, I'm sure that cocky everyman will be the hero of many watching, and the uh, the heartthrob to many of the ladies, and perhaps some of the gentlemen watching. Well, he's us, Matt, and and you know that, and they know that. And there's also the uh, the hacker, the girl hacker character. I believe her uh, handle on the set uh, before she was actually given a name was uh, Wires O'Toole. Uh, it, it, it's it's strange to have to have been anticipating Agents of Shield for so long and to be this close and to just know the. I mean, to be honest, I knew more about the characters when when the particulars of their casting, what they looked like, and who they were playing with that came out. It's been it's been many many months at this point, and I've kind of resisted reminding myself of it because I really want to enter the pilot fresh. Um, it's incredibly exciting times, particularly as I am turning off that uh, that uh, news flow about the show, and um, it's it's just an exciting time to to be existing. In, I mean, maybe not in. I don't exist in the Marvel universe. I'm not a character. Not yet, you don't. Not yet. That's right. You know, if Neil, if Neil deGrasse Tyson can be a character in the comic books, uh, in some comic book, I don't know whether it was Marvel or DC. I don't remember. I want to say it was Marvel. But if he can be a character, uh, I guess any of us can. Well, speaking of characters and uh, figuring uh, out who is who. Uh, how about any decrypted uh, transmissions we might have, uh, Matt? None this week. And I certainly don't want people to think that, uh, that that our listeners are few in number. I was, you know, while we do keep our numbers on the private end, I was, uh, I was sharing some of the numbers with Pete before we started to record today. And uh, it certainly is, um, you know, it certainly is increasing and increasing. Uh, please let's let's hear your voices, listeners. Let's have you know let's have this decrypted transmissions part be a time where uh, where 
your thoughts can be heard, whether it's uh, through Twitter, where we are at Fantastic Geek. That is, of course, with a PH for fantastic. You can leave a comment on the webpage, fantasticgeek.com, or you can send an email, fantasticgeek at gmail.com. These are all great ways uh, for you to interact with the podcast. Certainly, I, I would hope that the, the comments section on our webpage could also be an opportunity for people to be interacting with each other. Um, so feel free, jump on in, start the conversation. Speaking of interaction, Matt, how else can people interact with us? Well, Pete, there are, there are our individual Twitters. I am looking back lost. And Pete, I, you as the, the cocky everyman, what is your personal Twitter? Mine is at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. And Pete, I would be remiss to mention before we do uh, conclude this episode on Captain America, don't forget, listeners, that uh, this is dropping on Tuesday, September 17th. We'll be talking to you again in a few short days for uh, a different kind of episode, but an episode nonetheless on Avengers. And then, boom, we're back a couple days after that, the following Monday, September 23rd, to talk about Iron Man 3. All of that to uh, to lead our excitement on uh, the premiere of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which, is, of course, is 8 p.m. on ABC, Tuesday, September 24th. And, um, Pete, unless we have a power outage, we're going to podcast it shortly after um, shortly after the premiere, and we hope to have it up. Personally, my goal is hope to have it done, up, ready to go, uh, uploaded to the website, waiting for iTunes to, to you know catch the feed uh, uh, up there by, like, 10 p.m. that night, 10 p.m. Eastern. If they can keep up with us. That's true. So, I mean, if you're an East Coaster, you might be able to go to, you know, go to bed listening to our thoughts. If you're a West Coaster, again, unless a tree falls and knocks out the power here. Which has happened. (laughs) Which has happened. Absolutely. As we, as we look at the, what, about five weeks away from the uh, one year anniversary to Hurricane Sandy. So, um, and the random tree that in uh, early June decided to hit my bedroom at 4.30 in the morning. There's that <laughs> There's that as well. I forgot about that, Pete. I apologize for being so uh, so self-centered. So, um, we'll, uh, you know, we're looking forward so much to podcasting the show. It, it's really going to be, I, I really, really think, Pete, this is going to be a, an exciting adventure. Definitely. And, you know, it, it comes amidst what seems to be a fairly milquetoast fall schedule for a lot of the networks. So I'm really looking forward, one, to it exploding on the scene, and two, to it dominating. Well, Pete, on that note, I will say adios to all our listeners and let you have your famous final word. Just make sure you save me that last dance, uh, even though I'm a capsicle. <laughs>